0: Good morning. Good morning sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I doing pretty well. yeah yeah good. Just got back from our uh, quarterly planning retreat.
1: Oh yeah. how'd that go? It went
0: well. I think we made some some good plans and it was nice to like escape again and hang with the mm-hmm. guys and mm-hmm. yeah it was it was a good time.
1: That's cool. Where'd you guys go?
0: We actually revisited a house um, that we went to before in Rentham, Massachusetts, pretty close to a lake, not quite waterfront, but nearby, but it has like this like very cozy, kind of artsy cabin kind of vibe. I'd say coziness is its main characteristic. I'll talk about some of the, the stuff that we talked about uh, during the episode, though. Cool. Cool. Yeah. How That's you good. doing?
1: I'm doing pretty well. I messaged you right before we got on the mics, and I was like, I don't have a ton to update on because I've just been deep in this Outlook integration, but I can pull some things out of out of that. It's just some tell some quirky stories about things that I've learned. <laughs> yeah,
0: um, yesterday Joel was configuring our SSO support to work with um, Azure, mm-hmm. and uh, he was <laughs> he was like. This is going to shock you, but the Azure admin interface is kind of clunky. Uh (laughs)
1: Uh-huh. It's right up there. Google Cloud, uh, AWS, and Azure are all like, they feel very similar in the sense that they are just, I mean, a kitchen sink of things and and lots. And it's like, they're all single page apps. There's tons of spinners everywhere and things are janky and you never know if stuff's going to load properly. And it's just, it's insane. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah so i think joel feels your pain this week yeah yeah that's good to not be alone
0: (laughs) yeah so i wanted to talk to you about a feature idea we did a roadmap survey recently and one of the things that was requested uh pretty popularly was joining a tuple call via url and this is not like join a tuple call via the browser but like give me a url that i can hit that like brings me into a call with a person Um, at least i hope i did not imply the first thing i realize we didn't exactly (laughs) that might that might have been slightly ambiguous but based on people's comments i think that's pretty i think it's clear and the the feedback we've gotten before um is like i'm used to scheduling collaboration sessions with somebody via their calendar sometimes people are just like well we we wanted to try a tuple and get off zoom but we're really used to throwing zoom links on calendar invites and there's no equivalent so we kind of just end up on zoom and it's like hey do you want to switch to tuple and it's like Eh, we're already on zoom maybe we just use yep. this
1: yep yep
0: so we want to you know support that kind of workflow mm-hmm. um and then also so like part of it is like a workflow where it's like okay now there's a there's a url on the calendar invite but it's also kind of more if a general ch- or it's more of a change where it's like i can just kind of be like i am ready and joinable and somebody can come and join me and it's not i I, we don't have to like coordinate this exact synchronous i'm calling you you hit accept in the the 10 seconds that i'm calling you and now we're on a call
1: right right more of the kind of the room concept like you you open up a a tuple room and you're sitting in the room and you're waiting for someone to wander in um exactly yeah yeah
0: so as someone who uh (laughs) runs a calendaring app (laughs) um yeah I think there's a lot of interesting ux things to be done here but i was wondering like how how slick can we can we make this and i was curious if you had any ideas for like really nice ways that we could like if we were going inter- to like add tuple as an option for savvy cal meetings mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um how could we make this really good
1: so the the join url is kind of the you know the the typical workflow that most conferencing providers use so like you know google meet has it zoom obviously um whereby and there's kind of two buckets that i've seen of these like most of them are like you hit an API during the during the scheduling process and it generates some kind of like unique link so that it's like very unique to that specific meeting. But then whereby kind of breaks that mold where they're they're just driven by like your personal room URL and you can set or you can set these up in advance and then it's not like a random string identifying it. It's like a it's like, you know, whereby.com slash Derek or whatever. So Tuple could definitely get away with that kind of model as opposed to the unique thing because it's all, it's not a service that anyone on the public internet who has the URL could wander into. Like, you have to be connected already on Tuple, right? Presumably. So it could be something like, you know, tuple colon slash slash uh, Derek or something in order to like get in a room with me. Um, Interesting. Right.
0: That's kind of cool. Like the how unique is this URL is kind of an interesting idea or like is it when i add a youtube url to a meeting or to like a calendar event should it be about the call or is it more like the person like the host right
1: right yeah because if it's just the host then it's like well i guess yeah what, what would happen if if multiple people clicked that would it route what does the routing look like getting you into the basically the same session um
0: right like yeah. if there's gonna be three people on the call and one of them is you and it's like two it's like slash, slash Derek. And then Ben and Joel click it. Are we dropped into your room that's not that's that's already active or something?
1: Yeah, that could be well and here's the other thing you could do. I mean, so kind of sticking with like analogous to what whereby does, you basically preemptively create these rooms and i've I've peeked into some like bigger team accounts and like you can go crazy with these. Like you can have individual teams within your company can set up various rooms, and they can like um, attach properties to them. Like you can pre-configure them so that there's a certain like waiting room policy, and there's a certain like um, experience once you're in the meeting. And maybe that would be something you would want to do with Tuple. Like pre-configure a room that's like when in this room we're sharing. These are the policies set up for this pairing session, and so it's like perhaps something you could preemptively create like Ben's pairing room, and then you could link out to Ben's pairing room That's from interesting. a calendar invite.
0: I hadn't thought about that. Like properties on the room itself could be interesting.
1: Even if it doesn't make a ton of sense, like there's not a ton of configurability right now, it, there may be down the line, especially as you allow more, more parties to be involved in more kind of complex like permissions scenarios and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Hmm.
0: Because we have like a peer-to-peer thing, I've been thinking of these things as like making me available like this this link is like to me that seems like the wrong model like the the thing that goes to me is calling me and that requires me to be immediately available and accept it this is a place to go to meet each other and that's that's what gives you the async thing so like it's not really slash slash ben it's slash slash ben's meeting spot or you know pairing room one or whatever yes yeah okay so like one setting on this on this place could be it could be that it causes a notification to get pushed out if someone Mm -hmm. joins it to meet, for example
1: right which is sort of what happens like in a zoom room you know if you have a meeting room and someone joins it you get an email or push i don't know if you get a push notification but you know it basically notifies you when someone wanders in
0: um yep i always hate those emails yeah <laughs> like <laughs> I, I guess it has co- i guess it saved me like once or twice where i've forgotten a thing or like i didn't see the the thing so i guess maybe they're a net good but like 95 of the time it's like the first person joined your meeting that you know that's a recurring meeting that is you know <laughs> has been on the calendar and you were there but here's this email from when it started and, uh, yeah it's goofy so i would like to be smarter than that for sure yeah maybe we give a little like a little uh notification bubble kind of thing on the tuple icon when someone joins so like maybe there is an owner of a room maybe it's like maybe it's like it's ben's room it's not an unattached room and that way it's like okay if someone joins your room you should probably know about it
1: right right i wonder if it would make sense for there to be like would a company ever want to set up like pairing room one pairing room two, kind of like conference rooms that like that are owned by the the team and not individual people i wonder i mean I, I guess i can't think of a specific use case for that but i mean
0: maybe um, but uh, that's that's uh maybe that's starting to feel like aspirational or like you know like v2 kind of design or something
1: like maybe keep that in mind when designing the data model for, yeah. for how these are structured <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know uh-huh. um
0: but yeah. well don't worry i'll make everything has menus
1: the good 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 yes yeah <laughs>
0: So yeah, then there's some interesting sort of UI things, which is like, how do you... Let's say you and I have are trying to do a thing. We're going to pair. I've set up a thing. We throw that URL on the calendar invite. Maybe I click it first, and it goes to my thing. And then somehow we want to indicate in the UI, like, you're in the room now. This is like a persistent state. The room is joinable, but you can go do other stuff. I think at the beginning it's sort of an interesting question of like what should be shared i guess like you probably don't establish a screen share maybe you enable audio when you join the room by default that seems like a safer thing like i don't want to have to like have my screen ready for someone to drop in at any second once i join a thing but i think if it was like if i could hear you and you could hear me that's that feels pretty safe
1: yes yep default to audio you could potentially throw on your webcam or something so when join someone joins they see uh the webcam as well you know similar to to expectations of a conferencing just a generic yeah yeah
0: yeah Yeah. i think there's actually kind of a lot of prior or like sort of existing uh tropes or whatnot that we can we can lean on here i think we need like a sound slash a push notification or something when you actually join just to make sure if i'm listening to music or you know getting distracted or maybe you don't have your mic turned on when you first join so i don't hear anything but I'm my mic is hot, so I should I should know that you're you're there. Yeah,
1: yep. And yeah, push notifications for you know, if you're in there first, you get a push notification. Obviously, when someone joins and their mic is you know, you can hear their audio. And it seems like it would make sense to give you know, potentially give everyone like when you launch this feature, like everyone gets a basically a personal person the equivalent of a personal meeting room, you know, where it's like you get everyone gets their personal room and then you can create more down the line. That are like specific to, you know, maybe you only share this link with a specific person, so it's not like, which is sort of like what you can do with Zoom. Zoom calls you can have your personal one, or you can spin up a specific room for individual people um, to use.
0: Yeah, yeah. Is there any advantage to having like unique things per invite? Is there anything funky we could do there? You think?
1: I think if you architected this in a way where like a room is a room, and you can be kind of like a a static one that's persistent all the time or you can like create these on the fly and they're more like you know sandboxed like you uni- a unique url to a room i don't know for sure in thinking about it if that's really necessary up front but like if you had that then you could obviously expose an api and something like a tool a tool like savvy cal could like spin up a unique room when when a call is scheduled you know But some people don't want that behavior, even with like Zoom integration today. Some people just want to use their personal meeting room. They don't want a bunch of unique rooms.
0: So one use case for this is throw it on a meeting invite to have a time sort of this is happening at this time. But then there's like, oh, hey, Derek and I are going to be pairing on this thing. If you want to drop in uh, or like, hey, hey, Dan, like we could use your thoughts on the UX when you have a second. Here's the link. I wonder if it's useful to have a unique link at that point where it's not just my thing, but it's like, "Oh, I want to call with Derek, like share URL to this call." And thus, like when that call ends, that thing just evaporates.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, in essence, like maybe every call would, would basically become a this is a, a one-off room, an ad hoc room, right that you you and I are on a tuple call right now, and if we wanted to invite someone to it, it would be nice to be able to share a URL to it. So like under the covers every call is maybe perhaps a room right um yeah
0: Hmm. interesting yeah is that better than if it were just if i just gave out my slash ben room for some reason i guess i guess because if the person tried to join it after the call had ended maybe we go oh yeah sorry that session's gone as opposed to me getting a notification like oh hey dan joined your room maybe that's better that might not actually be i might want to know that like oh dan tried to join us and we were done let me just go hop in there with him real quick and explain what happened or something
1: Hmm. right because dan joining your room when when you're not in there would be effectively dan calling you right yeah yeah right <laughs> <laughs> but now it's just now he's calling you from a place he's calling you in like a public place where like if someone else had that he's calling me out right (laughs) he's calling you out (laughs) so if he called you on your slash ben and then someone else happened to like enter your slash ben they could just like wander into your conversation with with dan um
0: yeah right you and i are done dan hops in afterwards looking for me i'm trying to start a new call with somebody else Uh, maybe if that had been time bound or related to the specific call that's better Then we don't like have accidental collisions
1: yeah like I could see, so for example, we're recording this podcast, we're using Tuple to talk to each other. Every week, it's like, we have a scheduled time when we're going to start and then we're, usually one of us is like making coffee or like doing some, some little errand right before, right? And so then it's kind of like, well, I'll call you when you're ready or you call me when you're ready. But if we just had an AOP room, you know, it's like, well, I'll just meet you there when we're both there, then we can start, you know? Um,
0: yeah, also the AOP room, I could say like, when I join AOP room, turn on my webcam, turn on my audio, don't do screen share, set the quality setting to this or whatever like this. Yeah, that's like I could see why settings and like event based settings could be nice there because I always use the same setup with you. And so if it just enabled all the things that I wanted, that would be handy. We could remember choices based on based on the last thing you did, which would be cool. Yeah, we always coordinate via text like i need two minutes or like i'll be there in a second like okay call me or something call me when you're ready and that's it's like it requires this extremely synchronous handshake
1: is a room actually just like a way to spin up a to initiate a call that is like in a state of it's in a pending state sort of like so if you hit a room url it's basically like Under the covers, it establishes a call that only includes one participant, but someone else can also hit the same thing and get to the same session, basically. Mm. Yeah, that sounds about right. It's interesting to think about. So like, say you and I were in a call and we were in Ben's room. If someone else on your team, you know, opened up their tuple UI and clicked on Ben's room, would they be able to just join the same same active call? Or is that essentially like... That is a session that is now started, and and someone who doesn't have the join URL shouldn't be able to to come in. I think that's a, that's a question. Like, is this a yeah? Is it something that's exposed in the interface where someone can always come in v- through there, or do you have to have the link to get in?
0: Um, yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's kind of a cool question. Like, should there be a Ben's room participants? Derek, Ben, like join? Like, is that a is that a thing or not? That's interesting. Like we generally default towards like very permissive things where it's like, okay, you're, you're using this with your coworkers, people that yeah. you implicitly trust. So we don't have that many limits on things. Right.
1: Um, you already so have like to like establish, a, yeah, team membership and or friendship with people in order to be, um, to right. see each other's activity and online state and stuff. So
0: yeah, and you probably, yeah, you probably have to establish the friendship before you could join via someone's URL probably. Or maybe we do that on the fly. Unclear.
1: That does open up the possibility for more connecting. Because, like, if I wanted to pair with Adam Wabin or something, like we all have so many email addresses these days, I don't really know where to find Adam. Is it his Gmail? Is it his Tailwind Labs email address? But if if he had just shared like a join URL with me, and then when I when I click that, it's like, hey, you're connecting with Adam, and we're going to become friends now, or whatever needs to happen. Then it seems like that could spur on a lot more like connecting with people. Who are not necessarily on your team, and that's probably a good thing stick for the stickiness factor for tuple, right? If now you're kind of building this network and this friends list.
0: Yeah, I like that. Uh, it's also we can do the uh, the Derek Rimer patented uh, reserve your URL scheme.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yep, <laughs> hmm. that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I think I like that connection idea where it's it's like it's this is the the one stop shop to to get access to me versus having to figure out which email is right i like that that's cool yep 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 hmm. okay well cool i think that's kind of a good exploration of that good yeah that was fun thanks for your thoughts i like honestly yeah. for kind of forgot we were recording for a few minutes there
1: i know <laughs> that's when it gets really good right yeah <laughs> i was legit just, yeah. just
0: in a uh, brainstorming mode yeah that's good that's good stuff that's cool yeah so how how is your uh excursion into microsoft land going are you close <laughs> Oh gosh
1: I'm very close, I would say i'm I'm rounding the corner um, like I'm adding new tasks slower than I'm chipping them off, which is a good point to reach in a project, <laughs> you know. So this week I I reached out to a couple friends who I know use Outlook at work and and asked them to connect their accounts. And of course you immediately learn things when you connect real world accounts. So I all seen all kinds of different event types and like, oh, here what happens when someone books an all-day event but their time zone is set to something funky? And what happens when and my gosh, like calendar data models are so weird. You can tell this stuff was like Legacy that has changed, that has been like shifting over time, but that was like invented in the early 90s or something. Like, because it's like there's clearly things that are like bolted on. Like, we didn't consider this. And so we're now we're adding it in, but we can't break existing like systems because I mean, calendars for the longest time were like apps that you installed on your local computer. So, like, you know, Outlook desktop. And I just discovered like how Outlook handles time zones. Like, they, they will they like to default to use like um like time zones that are not standard in the standard time zone database like the string us central time which is not a time zone you can pass to any library these days that's like a standard database like you can't just send that so there's very there's things you can do to like massage the the outlook api to always return things in utc time for example but it's just crazy. There's all kinds of all kinds of weird stuff. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Every like product has like its its schlep. Yeah. It's like obnoxious work yes. that you have to do. Yes. And this is your schlep is time zones and date math. Yes.
1: And I said so I was I've been taking actually a little bit of pleasure in that because I know that like the more of this stuff that I like figure out, and it's kind of like solving an intricate little puzzle. Yesterday I was going through and this is this is a really tricky thing to figure out. And I'm still in the middle of it, but like figuring out what happens now when like you initiate a calendar invite from an Outlook calendar and you send it to someone who's using Gmail, like an email gets sent, an invite comes through, but what does the feedback loop look like when someone like clicks one of the RSVP buttons from their email client? Like, does that actually mutate the state properly on the originating calendar's invite? And there's a ton of like weird stuff that happens in different scenarios so was like running through a bunch of different scenarios and then like downloading the iCal invite that gets attached to um, the emails that initiate from either Google Calendar or Outlook and they behave very differently uh, these two systems and so it's a wonder that they can even talk to each other even half the time you know Um, some like include Include the the organizer as the attendee by default. Outlook doesn't include the organizer as an attendee on the event, so it shows up as a single person attending the event when it comes through. There's just all kinds of weird, weird stuff like that, and I learned that if you create an event on a non-default calendar in Outlook, because you know how you can in Google Calendar you can add, you can create multiple calendars, right? If you do that in Outlook, though, it's impossible for anyone to RSVP that you've invited. A little notice just pops up in the UI when you add an an attendee and it's like by the way people won't be able to RSVP to this but you can still receive emails from them indicating that they're coming but it's not going to show up that way on this invite like it's just a just something they're like yeah we we haven't figured this out so sorry it doesn't work (laughs)
0: thanks yeah well, you said you were feeling good, and I assume it's because it's like you're you're digging the moat, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah. So like, a, as I deconstruct these things, it's like, okay, that's this is how this is how these things work, and this is what I need to do to make sure that they can talk to each other. And like, none of this stuff was obvious. You couldn't just read docs and figure it out. Like, none of, a lot of this stuff isn't documented, so you just kind of have to deduce it yourself. But it feels good when you when you like, uh, you know, unpack some of these things and then figure out how to make them how to make them all work. So. Getting there, getting nice. there. That's yeah. cool. Do you have a,
0: a date in mind yet? You think?
1: So I'm. I've been trying to figure out like what the best rollout process for this will look like because I feel like realistically within within let's say a week from now I will feel pretty dang confident that people can actually start using this in production. And so I've thought about like, do I do I go through the the trouble of like recruiting a a beta group from like my broader customer base to like invite people to use it and and set time limits around that or do i just kind of let customers know like hey we now have the ability to connect outlook calendars and we're just rolling this out so there may be issues and like maybe put like a beta flag on it just to make sure people know like if if you run into something weird please let me know i lean more towards like i don't want to be in this long protracted like beta period with this thing like if If it's seeming to like function pretty well then i want to err on the side of like just letting people start using it and sign up with with outlook calendars uh, and not not drag this out
0: i would want to to like email your marketing list or like people who haven't signed up yet and say like i'm looking for a handful of people to get the first set of access to this use that to like convert some customers iron out the bugs and then email them again and be like okay now it's open to everybody feel free to jump on here bugs have been squashed and turn it into kind of almost like a you know sales approach slash marketing launch that kind of thing. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. I'm, what I'm a little worried about is I've uh, told some people recently who have asked for the integration like, hey, it's actually getting really close, and we may need some folks to test it out. Would you be willing to test it out? And I've gotten a couple of responses that are like, yeah, if I can get a sweet discount, and uh, and I'm like <laughs> like so, I'm a little I'm a little bit leery of the of that coming off as like, oh, so you want me to do you a favor? Well, just give me a discount and I'll test out your thing for you, which I, I hate that phase, you know? Yeah, totally. Um,
0: yeah, well will just, just don't do that. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> so maybe the answer will be like, do you want to test this out? And like only, only people who really want to like use this product and pay for it are, you know, that's, that's the requirements of the, totally. Of the thing. I would,
0: I would say that like, this is not like a free beta test. This is like looking for several people that want to become customers and, help us make this feature great.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think realistically within within a week or so, and and it's not far off from my, I, I said Q1 was my goal for this, and and here we are, it's April 1st. So <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good about like, You're late. Almost. <laughs> but only by a little bit.
0: Okay, only by uh, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Only 11 hours so far.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. I just have a clock up on the wall ticking down how late I am on shipping this. Hmm. Uh keep me motivated. That sounds like a good f- feature for startups. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's continuing to be some some good like side effects from from building this too, like when I connected some production accounts that had like literally hundreds of events on their calendar in over the span of the, you know, next 4 weeks, like realized that the Google Calendar API is just really really fast and um, so that's I've been able to like get away with With querying things in a slightly less efficient manner than they really should be. So I hooked up this, you know, this Outlook account. It's like the spinner spun for like six seconds and then displayed stuff. And I was like, okay, that's not going to work. And so then I took a hard look and I was like, you know, we, we try to basically load all your calendar events over the next month so that we can automatically move the scheduling link to show the earliest available time that you have. And if that's if that's multiple weeks out then we kind of have to look multiple weeks out just taking like an hour and figuring out like what if i sliced the the pages into smaller chunks and we started with just querying one week and then keep like automatically page out to x number of weeks and if we find you know if we find availability on the first week then we show it right away and we just do the fetching in the background like out of band so that it doesn't slow down the ui and like so it's made it's made the product like that much faster for everybody, even people on nice. Google, because now the pages are smaller and everything's faster.
0: Um, That's so, the best.
1: Yeah. So I've been loving very, that, too. Very cool. Yeah.
0: Solid. Nothing like a little outside pressure to kind of improve the system. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yep. Yep, yep. So I said I would talk about a couple of things from Retreat. Just a couple of quick topics. Um, one is that we are uh, decided to start uh, enrolling a bug bounty program. Which I'm pretty, pretty stoked about, like security bug bounty. Uh, we're using this company called Federacy, which is a Y Combinator company. Just two founders and then like a, their sort of pool of security researchers. Pretty excited to try it out. Like we, we're going to get like sit in a shared Slack channel with them. And we're doing their managed program. So the idea is like we write up some documentation on how security researchers can sign up for Tuple, And then uh, here's our list of what we'll pay for what kind of bugs and the federacy folks will do kind of a first pass triage kind of validation phase on the reports Um, and then the legit stuff then we get to look at and pay out and remediate
1: nice what was the main like impetus for doing this uh or like i don't
0: want to write an email that's like dear all customers right (laughs) yep um and so (laughs) we're gonna try to not do that yeah that was the impetus like, we, we're a desktop app installed on a bunch of computers with accessibility privileges, so mm-hmm. we got to take this stuff seriously. So we, we got a security audit last year. From talking to people, folks have basically said they get better results from bug bounty programs than security audits. Um, and that sort of makes sense because the, the bug bounty is ongoing, and the security audits are, you know, snapshots. And also, if you think about the incentives, the incentives are not super aligned, actually, on a security audit. Because the that company, like whoever you hire, wants to give you enough research that you feel good about it for like as fast as possible, <laughs> in order to like you know justify their fee. Whereas when you set a bounty for various severity of bugs, you're directly incentivizing what you want, which is like find me the worst stuff. Uh, so I really like that. Um, just like incentive alignment feels really important to me in general, and that just like gets it. This this feels like a very clean. Implementation. It just it seems like it feels like a pretty clear upgrade to me of incentive mm-hmm. alignment. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I occasionally get those. I mean, every software provider eventually gets these like um, random emails from time to time from people who are like, "Hey, I discovered a bug with the way you do session handling on your website. Do you have a bounty program?" And I never have like a great answer to that type of email. So it does feel like a good thing at, at some point, at a, reach a certain level of maturity, to have like kind of an official official means like where it doesn't feel like some weird under the table like I'll send you some Bitcoin or something kind of transaction totally. but instead like no we actually have a program for this um,
0: totally yeah yeah and you're like putting the flag out which is like please find these yeah. things. yeah like, here's the here's the prize if you do
1: so is this going to be really expensive do you feel like
0: um so so first of all props to Federacy for putting their prices on their website like it's interesting there's so like hacker one uh, and then there's two sort of big enterprisey get most of the customers kind of versions of this out there Uh, and they have like you know call us for pricing kind of thing and federacy is the like no no we're going to like bring bounty programs to like startups basically and like here's our like they charge by month as opposed to by year and like they put the the price on like no commitment they put the price on the website so the the managed program is 900 bucks a month and they said to roughly budget for like 500 dollars a month in bounties uh, depending on how things go obviously you can't really predict that but that's kind of like an average spend for them and my thought honestly is to like try to i want to offer a lot of money for the real severe stuff like if you can remote code execute against tuple that's worth a lot to me they sort of recommended start with a reasonable baseline of bug bounties and then after you've gotten kind of the basics done and you're feeling more confident and you want even more intense testing like crank up the bounties on some of them it's so like i could see us like slowly walking up the 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 amounts on the higher higher end yeah time.
1: yeah interesting part of their package is that they they are the communication means through which people you know report bugs and do they like assess whether it's legit and then like communicate with you guys
0: yep yep they do that uh, they also handle payouts so I don't have to go wire somebody Bitcoin or whatever the hell you do with Bitcoin <laughs> yep <laughs> um, make a blockchain so like they, entry <laughs> yeah so they have like an interface for like you know click here pay pay this person. Um, They're like a tracking tool, like a c- CMS for your mm-hmm. security researchers <laughs> and their bugs, I guess.
1: Right, right. Um, yeah. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. It's probably something that a lot of, well, especially when you're installing software on people's computers. I mean, it seems um, seems pretty um, yeah, high stakes. Um, but even even web apps, you know, we're all no one is immune from security no one is immune,
0: exactly so like let's let's at least be doing our homework and doing our best to try to prevent like i presumably someday we have a security issue like that would be wild to never happen so let's let's do our best to to not though
1: right no it does i mean i have like had moments where like i've just reflected on the fact that i have like thousands of um api tokens you know like in possession like that's there's some liability there for sure and uh not something to take lightly.
0: Been thinking about SOC2 a little bit, honestly. So this is like the security audit/slash certification where they say like you have to you have to follow these like these policies and prove you're following the policies and we were, like audit you every so often to just confirm that you're still compliant. So in the early days we got asked for this like during big enterprise deals and we occasionally we get that sometimes still as well. And I would always be like, no way, like this is just not the time for this. But we're doing more and more big deals, and from talking to people who've gone through it. It is painful but honestly there they, they said like most of the practices are actually things you should be doing anyway. So it's like you're kind of just like tightening up the ship a little bit. And that is starting to feel more prudent and and also would would help us in, you know, certain enterprise Credibility. sales yeah, processes.
1: Mhm. Yeah. So it might be worth it now. There are some companies I think that help facilitate this for for smaller um smaller enterprises. I've had some actually some cold outreach from one company in particular, I think, can't remember their name, but um, they're like, hey, have you thought about this? Like, you want a little bit of information? And I was actually like, one of the only cold outreach times, I was like, yeah, you know, I would like to know, like, I at least want to have some awareness about what does this process look like? Because it does feel like, I've gotten asked for it too, from some larger companies, and like, it feels like overkill for a while, for sure, but like, also, it also, it feels like the kind of thing that is, Almost easier the sooner you do it. Like, once you have, you know, tons of customers and a more complex code base and lots of just organizational complexity, it seems like it would be like it gets increasingly hard to then go back and implement all of the SOC 2 stuff. And maybe like doing it earlier on, it's like if you infuse yourself with all these practices so that you can pass audit, it would be easier. So, I at least want to be like up to speed on what are the kind of practices they're looking for and what can I do now to like make it so that when the time comes for me to get that certification if the time comes then it won't be so painful it's interesting you know
0: yeah 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 was this
1: vanta by the way that emailed you it might have been yeah that sounds familiar
0: i think i also got emailed from them yeah and like yeah it was pretty effective i was like actually this is something i've been thinking about i was like wow (laughs) a rare cold outreach email that was kind of relevant
1: yeah so funny Uh,
0: yeah i think that's I, i could see why their business is doing well like helping people through this process yeah, uh, it's
1: a big it's, scary thing, but a lot of people, yeah. you know, get asked for it. So you're kind of in this tension of like, ah, oh, I should probably be thinking about this, but it's it's mm-hmm. so many unknowns.
0: Yeah, they seem to. I, from what I've heard, they're growing like crazy. Like that business is doing quite well of helping people get get audited. Uh, yeah. So the one last thing from the retreat is um, we're gonna start looking for a Windows developer. Ooh. Yeah, like in my head, I've been thinking like maybe like at end of this year, like we're gonna do Windows Windows stuff. Um, and it was more like well maybe if we're doing window stuff at the end of the year like we have to start looking now like i don't predict it will be easy to find a person hire them train them break ground get going like there's just a lot to there's a lot to this so starting to look now seemed like the right idea
1: yeah that's exciting man once you go from one to two going from two to three you know hopefully you'll be able to reuse a lot of that and it will be even easier that's what i'm hoping for my calendar integrations at least (laughs) (laughs) yes yes yeah
0: yeah we've been pushing more and more code into like the engine like the c++ engine that that powers the thing so with any luck like each client is mostly ui related that triggers events and responds to events and then those events are just sort of managed by the heavy lifting is all done by this
1: portable shared uh engine yeah yeah obviously opening up windows is just opening up huge a huge market for right. you
0: and yeah. yeah 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 when i look at the stack overflow survey it's like 25% of people are on mac os 25% are on linux and then 50 are on windows so it's like okay we can double our addressable market with the with the linux one and then we can double it again with windows like that's like do you do you hate money and <laughs> or... <laughs> yeah and it's funny we've been we got a lot of requests for linux and so now we're like, yes, yes, it's coming. Look, Tuple They put your name here. Now I'm seeing lots and lots of windows. They're like, great, excited about Linux. Do you have Windows too, by the way? Uh, so it's and like, you know, we have like, we have a, a big customer that's renewing. It's like a six-figure customer a year. And like this year, they were kind of like, we're getting more and more devs on Windows. And it's kind of a bummer they can't use tuple. And it's like, uh, like, yep. So now it's like, okay, now there's six figures of revenue potentially at risk because of the 50 developers that, you know, are on Windows now. And it's that's just not a, it's not a great place to be. But man, I'm already honestly starting to stress a bit as we're starting to get closer to a Linux alpha. It's like, ooh, it's not clear if we can do this kind of UI thing over on Linux. And so it's like, okay, so then we have to come up with another way that this feature works on Linux. And also we're pushing forward on the mac client and so it's like okay well if we add this feature to the mac client now we have to add it to the Linux client and the windows client and so if we don't start the, li- the windows
1: client for six months like holy crap so uh, you can <laughs> so. see why even big companies with deep pockets like opt for electron apps when possible yes. because yeah it's like
0: <laughs> yeah I get it yep um
1: so yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes i mean that's i guess um <laughs> incentive to keep the product really simple and narrow in scope right Mm, i mean mm -hmm. the more the more focused you keep it the less you have to replicate at least in terms of um
0: yep you know also the, the pushing the stuff into the engine it's like if we decided that like a thin web view kind of wrapper was right for the ui for windows and linux or something that's that becomes an easy change versus like everything is mired together in this giant ball so like maybe the part like i don't think that we would go to electron but like maybe the parts that we need for the ui can be some sort of trans like so we're actually we already are kind of doing this which is like we're writing the linux ui in gtk which just can translate into native windows components already
1: oh nice
0: so like it looks like we might already get ui reuse across Mm -hmm. two of the
1: platforms can that go into mac too or is it not just GTK, gtk
0: i don't i don't know that's a good question actually
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah Mm -hmm. so we'll see it's i think this is going to be i think it's going to make life a lot more complicated like it 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 opens up a lot of business possibilities i think it's the right thing to do it also i think requires probably a bigger team definitely a bigger team more sophisticated processes you know it's going to be we're moving from like easy mode to
1: hard mode it feels like so so ''ll we'll, we'll, hopefully we feel
0: like it was the right choice.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean so when, so when you guys are you're on your retreat and you're talking through like uh, you know this decision I'm like, well I think we're got think we should do windows. I mean is there is there talk amongst you guys of like is this what we want do we want to build are we that ambitious with this company? do we want to do we want to scale like even though we could double our customer our addressable market, do we want that like is there do those discussions happen?
0: It, it does and the answer so far has been yes but i i kind of actually i think it's a good question to ask way like more directly and really like meditate on kind of which is like yeah you know there's more money over there totally if you want to grow at the maximum speed if you want to you know compete uh, most effectively with uh, what's on the market if, if you want to satisfy the most customers yes build a, a windows client but like are you sure that once you do that the company that you have is like the one you actually want and like this is like for a while we we said no to Linux or to no to anything really that wasn't Mac because we were just like no 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 we're just chilling you know we got this nice calm comfortable thing over here it's great we we made the decision that no no we're we're, we're we want to be more ambitious we want to go after these things it doesn't mean we're we're right we might not like the outcome <laughs> we'll mm-hmm. see
1: mm-hmm. I mean it's it's an interesting thing a lot of founders have to battle with that's like. Um, I mean, businesses can't stay stagnant. I mean, it's hard to stay in your calm little corner and still be the relevant, you know, have the the position that you have in the market. You you can't just like freeze yourself there. So you have to make forward progress, but then it's like, well, do we seize the opportunity in front of us? And then in the worst case, if we don't, if we end up like really getting burned out with the company or not enjoying it, like there will probably be exit opportunities to potentially have it have a meaningful outcome and move on to something else so is it worth just like you know driving forward seizing the opportunities that you can and then assu- and figure there will be there are outs that will potentially be rewarding if if need be you know um
0: yeah that's true and i also kind of feel like i think in general i would rather commit sins of over ambition i think i'd rather look back and be like oh we should have kept it smaller and simpler and you know if I'd known myself better or been better at predicting the future, I might have known that. Then like, no, we're just gonna stay in this little corner over here and then kind of lose relevancy over time. Like for a collaboration app, not to be on all platforms feels like you've just you've sort of opted out of the pretty much table stakes baseline. It's a very limiting move. At the same time we're building a pretty decent business on mac only <laughs> so <it's> like, <laughs> know. there actually are a lot of mac developers if you don't need to you know make vc returns um, and you just want to have a small profitable thing over here so uh, it's going to be interesting to to look back on these these things and, and see how we feel in retrospect you're making me realize that we should really we should have that conversation like like very explicitly and just like make sure everyone's like fully on board and, and going into this with eyes open of like we are signing up for a much more complicated world are we super are we totally cool with this is this what we want
1: yeah i don't think you'll regret having that conversation yeah exactly right but not having it, it seems bad
0: mm-hmm. and we and we you know we've implicitly had it by saying like do we want to do this thing but not like i feel like we should really right. lay out like okay let's talk about all the pros and the cons all at once yeah have this it's conversation like what, should be super explicit
1: what assumptions are we making assuming that like oh big that growth is better and we we don't hate money so like but but then digging one layer below that and it's like yeah but what are the implications of this decision beyond just like these yeah. base assumptions we're making i'm going to make sure we do that just
0: let's let's have our eyes open yep. It's okay to be wrong but you know don't make it on it don't don't make an unexamined decision
1: exactly yep that's yeah. good that's good
0: cool well thanks for your input on that and all yeah. the other stuff
1: yeah you bet this was a fun one yeah uh, notes of the show notes for the show can be found at com. thanks for listening See ya.